Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast. Then during the 2020 election, we watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered. We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking. So today we talked to Anne-Marie Pedraza. I knew her as Anne-Marie Ripagan from high school. She's one of my high school friends this time. Yeah. And sometimes, her- sometimes you get to bring your own high school friends. Home. I know. And then um, it's crazy because similarly, have friends. I had. <laughs> you can cut that out. No, it's staying but like in. literally like That's it's staying in. the last three people we talked to you're like, Oh, I'm going to steal you as a friend. And I was like, so that's fine. No, I have a couple. No, I'm totally keeping that in. Um, So something similar is that, well, I thought I knew her. I thought I knew these stories. And I, you know, we, we go way back. I mean, 22 years or something like that. And um, 25 years. And I just learned so much about her. It was, it was really lovely. Yeah. It was so great to talk to her. Um, it was amazing what we learned about one about her life and, you know, one interesting thing about her story compared to some of the other stories that we've heard on this podcast is that there wasn't a sponsorship of family to come over. A, A lot of the stories we hear is that one person comes or one couple comes and then brothers and sisters and cousins or the gateway family. Right. Right. And it wasn't like that at all. And in fact, much of the adaptation was her and her sister had to adapt to visiting family in the Netherlands. So that was really cool to hear how different that experience can be and what it means to build family in a country where you don't necessarily have blood relatives down at the corner or across the state even, or even across the country. That, you know, her parents were really... And the four of them were alone from a, you know, sort of related to people standpoint in the U.S. for their whole lives. Right. And how she used that experience and how that experience of finding family was used throughout the rest of her life. And it it adapted her for life as a military spouse, for example, which she talks about. And her family act is so fun. I mean, it is awesome. I can't wait for people to because she gave us a few and a bunch of them, which I think happens more than people realize is a few of them came from misspeaks or mistranslations. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, those are really fun. And I love hearing her talk in Dutch with I mean, those are sounds that I can't make, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I have learned something I'm fascinated by every single person we have talked to, and I just really can't wait for people to listen to every single episode, and this one is no exception. Yeah, I agree. So to our lovely listeners, please enjoy Anne-Marie Pedraza. 
Anne-Marie is speaking. Hi, my name is Anne-Marie Pedraza, and I am speaking. Anne-Marie, so glad you could join us today. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So before we get started today and really get into the like the juicy dirt of what it's like to be details, juicy details. Yes. The juicy details of what it's like to be a first generation kid with parents from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. I wanted you to give us a little bit of background about how you and Kosha know each other, maybe share a story or two, the more embarrassing, the better, what you know about my sister, you know. I don't know if we were cool enough to have super embarrassing stories. I know, like, I don't know. If you're talking to my sister about embarrassing stories from, from high school, sure. But I was not. I was a pretty straight-laced kid. Kosha and I met in high school. We were in the group of mathletes slash drama kids in a really, really, really big school. I mean, you talk about just not knowing everybody. I, I, I don't, we don't, didn't even come close to knowing everybody we graduated. But don't you think right? we were like two of the cooler mathletes? I was the coolest one for sure. I don't know what you that were, means. I, mean, <laughs> I don't either. It's Me. not really a thing. And it's okay. You know, I did have a, a fifth grade teacher that got really mad at the word weird. And, and she really didn't like it. And I'm sure there was a traumatic experience linked to it. But I am super proud to be weird and super nerdy and all those things. And it was part of just who we were. Um, and I think it was part of just kind of the great thing about the school we were in, that it was okay to be all of that. And that we had a group of people that it was okay to be all of that. Even though, you know, I definitely had experiences where, you know, being the nerdy kid was not as great, especially middle school. But um, yeah, we met in high school and I think, you know, we knew each other and, and we're friends, but we've probably become closer in the last, like, since marriage and kids situation, right? In in terms of yeah. all of that in our I reconnection. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we've had, you know, ebbs and flows, right? Yeah, like for sure. We were really close in high school and then we went, you know, our separate ways in in college, but then we came back together. Really social media has done a couple of good things and yeah. that is like maybe one of them, right? Not maybe, but it's one of them that it brought us back together. Yeah, and then we've just become really, really tight in uh, the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's been really nice to just kind of it's that that kind of a picking up where you left off with no judgment sort of friendship, which mm-hmm. is is a hard thing to find, and it's pretty pretty darn cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. I always feel supported and and understood, and and that's a pretty great thing to have. So I've yeah. always appreciated it a lot. That's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I am amazing. Yeah, you kind of are. <laughs> Emery, did your parents settle in Orland Park originally? Did they start St. Louis? Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's an unusual one because most people start out in Chicago. Is St. Louis a place? Is that sort of a magnet for people? Settle? So my dad, the 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 immigration came about as a result of of work. It was a, supposed to be a temporary three year placement um, through. At the time, it was just OXO, which is the a Dutch printing company company. My dad's a chemical engineer and he was actually worked in East St. Louis, um, which hmm. we, which is not a place we wanted to live. So yeah. we lived, um, we, it's, we lived in St. Louis and yeah, we're there when I was 10, we moved to Chicago. So fifth grade. Your parents were married when they moved over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. They got married in the Netherlands then. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long had they been married before they decided to come to the States? 
They got married in 72. Uh, yeah. 50, I'm not. Oh, math. And remember how I said it was a math week? Yeah. That <laughs> okay. went well. 13 I'm, years. <laughs> I'm writing to the Mule for Theta upper yeah, folks. Mm-hmm. And they actually would have emigrated before, um, not to the U.S., actually. My dad had an offer to immigrate to South Africa. And they made, I don't know, well, I guess it was a mistake of telling my mom's parents before, as they were making the decision. And my mom's parents, like, there's nobody, before us, nobody in my family has, everybody still lives there, right? Um, And that's how I grew up. My aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, everybody lives in the Netherlands. It was me my sister and my parents. And that was it. Mm. That's the only family I, I grew up with. So like the whole concept of was like you guys were talking about in your first episode about talking about how visiting family in different areas, like, that's nothing I ever, that's not ever anything I ever experienced unless we mm. went, which we used to do. We went to Holland pretty much every summer for at least a month, if not, if not longer to spend time. But that was how my family gatherings happened. But even mm. then, I mean, I have four cousins, four total. That's it. So I don't have a big family anyway. Yeah. Which is why my grandparents talked my parents out of immigrating to South Africa for that temporary kind of oh, initial. Like, like, why would you move away from? Why would you family? ever do that to us? Yes. Oh. Why would you ever do that to us? Why would you ever move move away? So then, when the move to the U.S. came about, that opportunity, my, they didn't tell my grandparents oh, until yeah. they had already found a home to rent and said yes. My grandmother didn't talk to my mom for a year or so. I don't know exactly how long. I mean, I'm too little to remember that stuff exactly. But, but yeah, my my grandmother, my grandparents were pretty mad when it happened. Now they got over it. They used to come visit us every year. We didn't go to the Netherlands, or even on years we did go to the Netherlands, they would come visit us. So we, I was actually pretty close with my mom's parents always. My dad's parents, it was just a little bit more difficult. I mean, both my parents didn't grow up with a lot of money. They they grew up pretty poor, and then my dad had a lot of siblings. Um, and one of them had asthma pretty badly growing up. So my dad just kind of had to figure things out, you know, on mm-hmm. his own. So it was just a little bit of a different family dynamic. But luckily, I was still very close growing up with my mom's parents, um, just from the fact of traveling long distance. But, you know, Internet didn't exist when I was a kid. When I was, you know, when I was five, six, seven years old, trying to be in touch with my grandparents, we actually used to send cassette tapes back and forth via the mail which I'm not sure if those still exist, which kind of makes me sad. Well, I hope they um, do somewhere. But we, they probably do in my parents' basement, maybe even mine. I don't even know. <laughs> I've moved <laughs> so much with the Marine Corps. There's boxes I haven't opened in a long time. Yeah. But yeah. But um, yeah, so we used to send cassette tapes, mail them back and forth. And the mail was not even, I mean, now you mail something, I, I mail something to the Netherlands. It's there, you know, within a week. And, and you can track it. You can, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we were lucky it arrived and then it would be like my sister and I yelling at each other and taking turns to sing songs. My sister getting really mad because she thought it was her turn. There's a pretty great little recording that we both remember where she just got really mad and was yelling at me and you know, singing, which is basically like toddler speak for don't sing um, <laughs> and, and yelling at me. And but we we mailed that, you know, we didn't do video calls. We didn't do that. None of that existed. I wasn't yeah. allowed to make long distance calls. No, no. In previous podcasts, we've talked about how when, you know, we were in the States and our most of my mom's family for the longest time, for a very long time, was still in India. And we would call them and it would be like, 
it was like you were actually trying to scream loud enough so that people could hear you through the air. Right. Um, and it was like, like you would have to like, like write letters back and forth and be like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to talk to you on such and such a date at such and such a time. So mm-hmm. be ready. Like we would call, cause it's like, if people don't pick up the phone, you've just wasted X number of hours. Um, and it's always at some like, or X number of dollars. And it's always at some like ridiculously late hour at night, like 1130. So it's like after their breakfast time there. And you're just like, you know, Barely awake. yeah, everyone's <laughs> awake. And you're just like, hi, hello, like screaming into the phone. So because of the delay and you're talking over each other in some weird way. Yeah, yeah we, absolutely. We experienced a lot of that growing up for sure. So what was that like for your family in terms of being one largely alone and isolated mm-hmm. here with the rest of both sides of your family there and then going back to see them every year every summer and sort of for you missing out on what might have been happening with especially yeah. if you got older friends and you know the life that you wanted to have here as opposed to like I don't necessarily want to go and spend that long there yeah um, you know, it's it's a good question. The first thing I would say is I don't think I ever didn't want to go. It was always just such a like I, I just it was an it was always a good experience for me to be there. I felt welcomed, and I and I had you know my cousins are all kind of around my age, so that probably helped um, too. And there's actually a, a friend of mine from the Netherlands that I've been. Her name is Marijke, which is a very very Dutch name. And um, can you say that again? Marijke. It's actually M-A-R-I-J-K-E. So no one even knows how to pronounce it when they see it, but, but she's, she's great. She's this wonderful person, artist, six foot three, bright red hair, like the, one of the coolest people I know, but I've known her since I was two. And she's a person that I, we would always go and visit her family. Uh, we were, we were close with. So I think I always had a circle of friends there too, but being, I I mean, it came with its challenges, right? I had, I experienced a lot of jealousy around like, you know, people that were just so casual about being annoyed about going to visit. Well, Mm. I got annoyed with people that would get annoyed with having to go visit Mm -hmm. their extended family. I was like, you have no, I mean, what? (laughs) Like, it's not a, it's not a thing you take for granted, but also I think we got creative, you know, we were very close. Um, the four of us were, um, your family, you mean mm -hmm, the four of us were very close because we just had to be right. We had each other. Um, and that was that and the, all of the adjustment and, and everything else that came with being in the U.S. and experiencing things in the U.S. for the first time what was just something we did together. But also building connections. And weirdly, I think it kind of, and I was thinking about this the other day, it kind of prepared me for the military life a little bit. I mean, you know, my husband was in the Marine Corps for 21 and a half years, not all of during which I, I knew him. You know, I only graduated high school three years ago. Just a couple of years ago. Um, (laughs) That said, um, but but it's there. There are a lot of similarities in a way, right? We built family from the people around us, right? So, like, there are still "quote unquote" extended family that we keep in touch with. That that I'm still very close with from St. Louis, as well as um, from the Chicago area, right? It's another Elisa, another mutual high school friend of ours. That, that, that we both knew um, is someone that really I see as family because we used to spend all of our our Thanksgivings and Christmases with them. Like we, we would go to someone else's house for those things because otherwise it was just the four of us, which we were okay with. But the kind of like big family Thanksgiving experiences, that comes from me going to someone else's house and experiencing that. Plus, it's not a very Dutch thing. It's a very American thing. So sure. we learned it by going to other people's houses. But But it was about allowing yourself not only to be close with your family, but to build very close relationships 
with people outside and and that it's it's a skill in a way but yeah it's not something that people are always very good at and I, and I have to say in the military life it was kind of comforting because people are very good at that that when you move every three years and the p everybody around you is also not around family you build strong connections very quickly and you and you depend on each other and in a way when my husband retired from the marine corps was very similar to some of the things that we experienced as that small pod growing up was the how to find well now i find myself in an environment again where the people around me have these tight networks and they've been built for 20 30 years mm. generations who knows right i mean i live in an area where most of the my neighbors have lived in this area for most of their lives right and so luckily we live in a neighborhood where we have some really close connections but we it's not always the case and and so trying to build those kind of connections is a little bit of a i guess a culture shock but because I grew up that way as a family, I, I think I was able to lend that a little sure. bit to our family life now. Would um, you say that your parents either explicitly or I guess implicitly or covertly said to you, you know, family is all you have. Family is really, really important. And it's, you know, in some ways it's just you and your sister. So you better figure stuff out and you better get along and you bet, you know, you yeah. can't just stay mad at each other forever. I think it was more implicitly. Um, I was, I've been pretty lucky. Margo and I, well, yeah, we were really close growing up a ton. And so we had a really strong <laughs> okay. foundation to build from. We can't hold on. We cannot just pass up the fact that you were going to say something really nice about you and Margo. And then you go, well, like, well, well, okay. So I was, let me, <laughs> which is why I started <laughs> which laughing. Is why, Shayla, she started laughing because I know our, that. I yeah. know that. Because I know that. Our... That's like, <laughs> And which is where this well came from, which is like <laughs> socially, we were a lot different when it came Very to right. especially coming to high school um, and, and beyond that piece. And, and it just even though because of our activities, we ran kind of in the same circles there socially, we just didn't like mm-hmm. the type of things that that she was int- into and exploring and doing just wasn't me. And it never was. And, and that's OK. And so I think that like in high school, there was just a yeah, we were still doing a lot of the same things. The interests still converged. Our, our our lives didn't as much. Our 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 so socially is where you know you change a lot and you go through that. And I think she's that, the extrovert and you're the introvert. Would you say? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. Shayla, she's the extrovert and I'm the introvert. Yeah. So very similar, yeah. for sure. And whereas, like, I just I I need to like get a break. She's like party on, and it's just not me. So you know, I mean, and that was just a just a difference. And and so then the end of high school happened. I left for college she left for college. And then over the years, we've just, we've always been there for each other, but we will, we've never been the call each other every day. So you're, you were close with your sister and you have family in, in the Netherlands that you're also close with. Are you mm-hmm. still close with them? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, not all of them, that's any extended family, I think, but yeah, there are certainly, I mean, I don't, all of my grandparents have passed, um, at this point, but um, aunts and uncles, yeah, there are there are some sometimes I'll just WhatsApp is a big, you know, app that that works very well both here and on international phones, um, which didn't always used to be a thing either, which has been a really nice mm-hmm. last so many years development to not have to worry about international uh cell phone charges, which are still kind of a thing. I can't just call my my um cousins on the phone. I mean I can call them via WhatsApp and it's just a, a mm-hmm. video call that way, which I do. Um my one cousin has three kids now. Um, and we, 
we video call occasionally. Actually, a video call called with his wife the other day. Have you been back or do you plan to go back to visit? Um, I haven't been back in in quite some time. Kids and work life and military life have just kind of taken over all of that in a way. And that's, that's something I regret a little bit. Um, the last time I was out was for her funeral, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. So I would like to go and, you know, introduce everybody a little bit better to some of the things that foods and, and things that I love. Um, my kids don't know Dutch as well as I would like them to. Again, a little bit from the, I have, I'm not as close to the Dutch network that I once was. I actually did try. They were in Dutch school for mm. a little bit when they were, um, well, I say they, two of them were. Casey was too little. He would just come along and we would call him, we, call him, we still call him this, kind of which means little rascal, even though he's giant. But yeah, we did it for a little while. Um, they have, they understand some things, but I do. I wish I had more of a network around when they were in those formative years, right? Because mm. I, I, I can speak both. Because when I learned English, I was five. I remember starting kindergarten, I didn't know any English. And there was no ESL, especially not for me. Sure. I mean, yeah, so like, they were like, good luck. Figure it out. Here's kindergarten. That's how, did, I, I, how I did it. Yeah. Was there uh, any, did you get any, like, I should say, do you remember uh-huh. feeling kids looking at you or people looking at you and being like, why can't you speak English? Yeah, sort of. Yes. Um, like some of the, with the kids, and although, you know, I had a really great kindergarten teacher, Miss Uguma was her name. Um, she was really great about like labeling everything. And, and, and I was so young, you know, I, like I said, that, that first day I remember they dropped me off in the classroom. They put me on the carpet and I remember turning around and watching them leave and I just a feeling of absolute terror. Cause I didn't know what anybody was saying. And then my mom takes over the story and my memory of it. In that mm. I came home that day and I said, well, okay, mom, what does sit on the carpet mean? And she was like, well, what happened? Because my parents speak Dutch, French, English, German. You know, they, they speak all the languages because that's just normal in the Netherlands. And so she said, you know, what, well, what did they do? I said, well, you know, they sat and all the kids sat on the carpet. Well, that's what it means. I mean, it was like the definition of immersion. It was like, okay, here you go your school figure it out and kids are just don't. so much kids yeah. are so much better at that oh, than yeah. adults I mean, it was, are. it's the perfect age right if you look at the research around when is the right age to learn language it's before ideally before five but like five six there you're still in a very good um, age to learn language but i guess i'm a good I'm good narrative proof of that i don't have an accent mm-hmm. and i really if i i don't speak dutch as much as i used to obviously because well, maybe not, obviously. My husband is not Dutch. <laughs> he is, he's, he's Mexican-American and I speak more Spanish than much of his family. So really? there's, a, yeah, mm-hmm, I That's do. Um, so I'm really curious. A lot of the first generation kids we talk to, <laughs> their parents come over and then like, it's the beginning of an immigration story and someone's brother and wife and this and that, and everyone comes over. That's, ex- that's how we ended up having a good deal of family around, which is our parents were the first to come over. And that kind of, I wouldn't say open the floodgates. That made it sound like like people just started pouring in. But at least that allowed my dad's siblings in particular to think about making the trek over to the States as well. Right. Do you have a sense for why or if, let me start mm-hmm. with if, your parents asked 
their siblings to come? Why don't you come to the States or have your, you know, a set of your grandparents come or where people just mm-hmm. like, no, no, we're cool here. Yeah. That's pretty much what how was. awesome it is in we're the totally Netherlands. We're fine here is pretty much what it was. <laughs> in fact, I have extended family that's never visited. Hmm. They've never even come out here. They were perfectly fine just letting us come back. Although I'm, I'm not a citizen of the U.S. I'm a Dutch citizen. I have a green okay. card. I remember the day I got my green card. It was also the day my first cat died. That was sad. Oh. But um, wait, but Pete's a citizen. So aren't you through marriage? Uh, nope. um, the marriage, the marriage law is only um, related to getting your green card, which I already had. Oh, um, I and see. some of it is just putting it off, honestly. And, and then to a certain extent. So, I mean, I, I pay tax, but I get, I get this discrimination. I'll, like this talk, talk about it, like people's thoughts and, and what's happening it is people think that i don't know i don't know what they think because i have a green card but like i'm like you know i pay taxes that you don't right that you can do all like i do all i can't vote i cannot vote um that is the and i have to renew my green card which even i i, I was i had my green card stolen hmm this was like four years ago now you're not well okay so you're supposed to carry it on you at all times legally as a as an immigrant uh, oh, like, card holder. You're supposed to physically have it on you, like legally. If they, if you were detained, so to, to be honest, uh, you know, most police officers, if I'm getting pulled over, they're not asking me if I'm an immigrant. I don't sound like an immigrant. I don't look like an immigrant, right? I don't, and so I'm not. Those those pieces aren't a factor for me. However, that said, when my green card was stolen. And it was, it was not just my green card. It was literally everything. It was my, it was in the city, it was with my kids and my wallet was stolen within like a couple of minutes. They had that, like all sorts of stuff. So I had to shut everything down, but I did have my green card. And because we had just done our taxes, also my, my social security cards, it, it was a nightmare. Just, I, I digress a little bit, but my experience with losing my green card was a, to be able to feel some of that. It's really a fear of like, listen, if someone asks me, I'm actually breaking the law right now, not having it on me. Right. And so like, if I, if I get into a weird situation, if I'm at a protest and I'm detained and, and I don't have my green card on me, what's stopping them from sending me back to the Netherlands? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those kinds of feelings. And I, and I had that, and it took me a year and a half to get a new green card after it was lost. It was not an easy process because first I tried to submit the paperwork via mail. It never got there. And then the people who stole my wallet tried to cash a check in Texas. So I had to change all my bank account information. So the check I had sent to the government was no longer valid. So I had to start the whole process over again. It took a long time. And it was, it's a nerve wracking feeling. In fact, I had to renew my license during that time. And when I was renewing my license, I went by myself because I always have to the to the to the to the DMV and I'm standing at the DMV and I have you know my old license I'm like I just I have to turn my license or whatever I'm gonna get a new one right the process and always works so I'm having and I didn't even think about it and this is just a couple of years ago right this is I don't even know I I, I could look at my license it was like three four years ago so that's also at, let's be clear that three or four years ago was high time for like anti-immigration oh yeah Oh, anti-immigrant like it was not a really great time sentiment, right sentiment, right right and so so what i what i experienced going to the dmv is I, I was at the counter and the woman kept asking me if i was registered to, if i wanted to register to vote right because that's what they're supposed to ask right however and the answer should be 
for someone who looks like you, the answer should be, yes, I would like to register to vote. Or I'm already registered. Or I'm already registered. Or something like that. I didn't say any of those things, right? I just kept saying, no, thank you. And she kept asking until I said, I'm not a citizen. And then she said, well, where's your green card? I didn't have it. I said, well, I have my old expired one. She goes, that doesn't count. I can't renew your license. So now my wallet is gone. I only have a credit card as a valid form of ID. I have, I have nothing. And And, so, and now you don't have an ID. You don't have a driver's license. Yeah. I mean, thank God she didn't take it. I still had my old one. So I go home and I'm in tears because I'm like, what do I do? Like, I don't, I don't know how, like, what if I get an appointment at the, at the, to get a green card now, green cards a little different because they have your face and your fingerprints on file. Like it's all you're there. Right. So while technically that probably wouldn't have been an issue, but here's what's going through my mind too. Right now I'm going to go to the immigration office. I won't have any valid form of ID. What do I do? What are they going to do? And I said, I need a driver's license. And this is my husband talking me off the ledge because I'm totally panicking and freaking out, right? And he's like, well, let's just go to a different DMV. I'm like, they're going to talk to each other and I'm going to walk in the door and they're all going to know. None of that was true. <laughs> However, I would have done that is, that's where I was, that is where, that's where my brain was, right? And, and so it all turned out fine. I went to the DMV. I made him come with me because I was terrified at that point. And he said, just say no. I said, I know, but she just kept asking me and I wanted to get her off my back. But here's where, 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 the reason I tell this story is because it, and I, and I get, I'm like in, almost in tears now, right? Just thinking about it is right for people that don't look like me and that go in and have that kind of a conversation was her intent. I mean, I, I don't know. Was her, are they, was her intent to badger me until I said something like that? And is that, is that the experience that people are having who maybe are, in a similar situation who are who are more likely to be uh, you know discriminated against for the color of their skin or where they're from and 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 that that level of terror that empathy i can feel for that it, it's just and you're right koshe it was during a time a couple of years ago when it really was not a great time to be an immigrant in this country and imagine not even being able to blend in and mm-hmm. having those experiences all the time yeah. whether it's an accent whether it's uh, you know the color of your skin, whether it's wh- whatever that your name, is, right? Your name, like right, like. Well, I mean, my name's Pedraza now. I get a lot of calls in Spanish. Luckily, I can understand mm-hmm. most of them. Right? They assume that I that I'm Mexican. My kids are my kids are Dutchican. Actually, that's what we call it. We nice. call my kids because I, you know, I'm 100% Dutch, and my husband is Mexican American, 100% Mexican. So our kids are half Dutch, half Mexican. So we call them Dutchicans. Dutchicans, nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. They, they sound like cute little snacks. Dutchkins. They kind of are. They're a little squishy. They're not anymore. My oldest is, is 14. He would be so annoyed. <laughs> if you squished no, no. him, if you squished him. Oh, 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 he's not as annoyed with it as my daughter, who's in middle school. Oh, yeah. They always get super annoyed, but she doesn't they get annoyed with everything in middle school. So that's true. I was never like that. <laughs> I don't. I know that's wrong. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that to be the case at all, but I'm assuming that's not true. No, no. Um, well, that's a, that's a really illuminating story. And, and thanks for sharing that. Cause I think mm-hmm. it really does highlight sort of like, there's no reason to expect that a trip to the DMV would be scary, except for that it was. Right. And for a lot of people, they know 
that they, you know, are, are likely to be pulled aside in a secondary screening at the, you know, in line to get on a plane or, mm-hmm. you know, the DMV is going to be looking at every little bit of paperwork you have or whatever that is. It's just, everything's going to be just a little bit harder. Just going to have to like walk a slightly straighter line. You're just going to have to right. you know, keep yourself just a little bit cleaner than everyone else just to avoid attracting any kind of negative attention. Sure. I think that's, you know, I mean, there's been an undercurrent of that. I think always in my, my inherent need to, to rule follow and my sister's inherent need not to, I mean, right. <laughs> her instinct is just to shove back at that whole concept. My instinct is like, no, 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 no. Oh Listen my God. Is, is her name Shayla She and <laughs> actually Kosha? So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about school. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have the chance to attend any school in the Netherlands? I know that when yeah. Kosha and I went to India, there was always like, go to school with your cousin's day and see what it's like, which was kind of, mm-hmm. kind of, if not super awkward. Like it was just, for me, it was awkward. Let me just and step I in met- this random classroom. That was not mm-hmm. kind of awkward. That was very awkward. Right. Mm-hmm. It was very awkward. And yeah. they and so many of them spoke English, but it's it was like it was, oh, it was so weird. uncomfortable. I'm like putting myself back there right now. I'm so uncomfortable. It was definitely a, it was definitely a bit of like it was some dog and pony show stuff going on. Performative, there. right? That was good. Oh, you're from uh, America. Well, what's, oh, it like uh-huh. what's it like there? Do you know Michael Jordan? Like it was <laughs> that. Um, yeah. So I my wish. grandmother, when we first moved, so I don't know, like the Netherlands is tiny, but I, I do as a kid remember going to a school riding on, I, I don't remember if I rode my bike or rode on the back of someone else's bicycles in the Netherlands all have like luggage racks on the back. And at a very young age, you learn how to manage riding your bike while someone's r- running alongside the bike and then jumps onto said luggage rack to go along for the ride. So that's how you, that's how you ride. It's, it's random people or no, 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 no. Like people you're with. Like I don't want to bring all the bikes. So we're just going to bring one. Oh. Um, so this person or we don't have enough bikes. So you hop on the back. Why didn't you really, just? I'm. I'm. Why didn't you just start off on the back of the bike instead well, of like try starting a bike with a person the same size as you sitting on the bike, not centered. You're sitting off kilter. It's much easier to already have your center of balance and in motion, and for someone to just have seat momentum and keep going to get the momentum <laughs> fall over. Okay, um, yeah. which my mom tells me did happen once when I was in the front. Maybe it's someone else's story, but there, there's a great picture of, it might be someone else's story, um, <laughs> because my sister and I were so close in age. When my mother would do groceries, my sister would be on the front of the bicycle and I would be on the back and underneath my feet would be luggage bags, like the um, saddle bags. Yeah. Saddle well, bags. Thank you. I, I was, I was throwing the Dutch word in my brain and it was not, yeah. you weren't going to know what I was talking about. But yeah, so I was sitting on the back and my sister would sit on the front with a towel to pad because she would always fall asleep and hit her head on the um, handlebars. But yeah, lots of lots of great pictures. But she did rest it. And I, see, now I'm like, I can't remember if it's her story or it was a comedian I heard say something once. I'm like, <laughs> but resting a bicycle, it has happened many times, right? Oh, I forgot. And like, right, you, you get your kids all in the car, you put them in the car seat and you realize you don't have your purse, right? Whatever the case might be. For my case, I put my kids in the car, have my stuff, accept my car keys, but my child has locked my garage door. So I now have to get in my house through my kitchen window. I have done that. But in Holland, that involves a bicycle. So now you have a kid on the front of your bike and the back of your bike and your purse is in the house. 
But what do you do? You rest your bike against the fence until you don't and it falls over. Until it's no longer, re- now it's resting Whoever on the ground. Whoever those kids were, whether they were me or someone else's, someone it's else, happened. they were fine and it's happened. But I yeah. have a feeling it was you and you bonk your head and now because you don't, remember. don't remember. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was going to say. Mm-hmm. So what, what is school like in the Netherlands then? Um, school is school. Um, it is one of the, and, and I say that in a, it's a weird way to say it. And I, I realize that what I mean is, and one of the big culture shocks for us, um, here was all of the other things that came with school, right? The extracurriculars, the sports, the music, none of that happens at school in the Netherlands. You learn, you go to school, you learn music is a different school that you pay to go to, right? Art is a different thing, experience that you pay to go to. I mean, there might be an art activity you do at school, right? As part of another instruction, especially in your super primary years. But the way that arts and sports and extracurriculars and any of PE is integrated into the school experience in the US is not the case in the Netherlands. Mm. It is academically focused. And there's a pretty good amount of like, level testing that happens at a uh, at a fairly young age right what they call the when you go into what's called middle back school which comparatively for us is probably about late middle school experience right seventh eighth grade um there's testing that happens um placement testing so you want to talk about high stakes testing it really 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 is it is a it's a testing that determines which level of high school you can go into and the level of high school you go into determines potentially your career path which sounds very limiting, but makes a lot of sense in a way, right? So if you're a kid that struggles academically, you are, are you're not you're not going to test into the highest level, right? What here we track kids, right? You have the AP kids and the honors kids. Here you track kids. You have AP kids, honors kids. You have um, you know special education courses that are happening. All of these needs that are that are that are all kind of within one experience and handled within the same building, right? Whereas in the Netherlands, in the U.S., we there's there's you have high school, right? Everybody goes to high school and completes four years of high school. And at that point, especially now, uh, and in 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 I think today's society, people are expected to go on to college, right? And and I see a big push, and I and I support the big push to make available other options to students. I like when I see you know technical high schools appear, that sort of thing, and that kind of comes from our experiences at a, at a family level with high school and, and in the Netherlands and, and those options, because if you test into that lowest level of high school, you may decide that something in the trades is something you want to do because that option is then open to you, right? In terms of next level of education, you can also choose to continue with high school. You could do potentially, I think it's up to like eight years of high school to get, keep progressing and testing and, and, and progressing and learning into that highest level of high school where you're starting to do some Latin and you're starting to do these, right, the the higher level calculus classes and all those types of things, which then are the preparation. There's no general education courses in college in the Netherlands. Those are taken care of during high school, right? Hence, you could do eight years of high school. You could test into the highest part of high school. You could do two years of high school, and now you've done your your general education and you're moving on into university level classes. So so it, it, it gives the opportunity and, and and it's yes, it's it's difficult because there's a little bit of pigeonholing, right? I mean, if you're going to the lowest level of high school, is it likely that that you're going to progress and go through eight years of high school? Most people aren't probably going to be motivated to do that, right? Is it perfect? No. But I think there's something to be learned from understanding that 
there is opportunity and that we need to open kids' eyes and normalize it a little bit more that, that there are other opportunities and that there's nothing wrong with them. You don't have to attach, right, your self-worth to whether you can excel in 12th grade English because some people just aren't going to and that's okay, right? And that doesn't mean that they're a failure as a person or or a failure as a, they may have a better career than the person, you know, and, a, and earn better money in, in whatever career path they find. But But normalizing that a little bit, a lot more more effectively yeah. is really absolutely there's a, uh, a lot of you know what you described with the schooling system sounds really really similar and not surprisingly because India's school system as my parents went through it was really based off the British system so it's very similar right. in that sort of like you know you do your primary education and that's really focused on you know reading and arithmetic you know maths and for all these sort of like card subjects, basically, it's a very, you know, three R's type approach. And the the art, the music, dancing, physical activity is really an extracurricular almost. Yeah. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts about how that system either perpetuates or does not perpetuate inequity issues, right? I could see like, if you have to pay extra for art, maybe your family can't afford mm-hmm. art school or art classes. And so, you know, you're not as a single student going through the system, mm-hmm. you are systematically cut off from something that you might have a lot of brilliance in. Hence you get to, when you have to test in and you're like, I hate school. I'm just going to go into the very bottom, you know, wrong. And or the bottom, you know, the beginning of high school and do my years and then get out and get a job. I, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, my my thought on that is, is I think that that's where the U.S. system does some things right. Right. Absolutely. In 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 although, you know, budget cuts, unfortunately, have changed that. I've seen it happen in, in the district that, that I currently live in uh, have changed, whether it's the age or the, the kinds of programs that are available. But it's still really very much ingrained in the education that's received. Right. It is you're going to have art class and you're going to have music class. And, uh, you know, in Illinois, those opportunities are are ones that grew out of a well-rounded opportunity within the educational system, which I know that in, in my family, well, I actually don't know that because we, we ended up being in, in a, in a good position financially, but my parents had to work to get there. They didn't, they didn't start there and certainly weren't there when the immigration opportunity came up. And so those kinds of funds for extra things were very limited. And so having those opportunities available as part of the school is, it, it is, there's, there's a very, very much a positive to that. Right. And so that's why I say, I think, I think that that kind of a, and, and again, as an educator that I could go for days, there's a whole other episode of another podcast, right. Of About the pros and cons of, of inclusion and, and and tracking and and what that all means within a special education context. Ultimately, you know, my passions being, hey, I want to give students confidence and opportunity, right? But the, but like you said, there is a lot of opportunity to be had within including some of those things within the school experience. And you know, there's whole uh, there's whole movies, right? Mr. Holland's Opus, for example, one of my all-time favorites, Yeah, right? I mean, there's whole uh, uh, movies about music and schools and, and the experiences. And, and, and in, in 
you know, and, and the benefits that that has in, in underprivileged communities, right? And so, yeah, there, that's definitely one of the things, and one of many, I had a great education, don't yeah. get me wrong, right? This is not me saying bad education experience yeah. in the US, not at all. I had a very good education at Sandberg, had great opportunities, you know, going on in my, my own college experience. But but yeah, there are, there are, there are some differences and things to be learned on both sides sure. of the fence. Right. Um, and sticker shock when it comes to college, by the way, is a whole other... I almost went to college in the Netherlands for that reason. And I was I was going to bring that up too, which is, you know, one of the more challenging issues or one of the more challenging aspects of living in the United States is just how much everything really is mm-hmm. pay for it yourself. So yes, schools as a general rule include art and music and PE and some language and things like that. But it really depends upon where you are and what school district you're in. Mm-hmm. Now I was talking to a friend not too long ago from California and saying, oh yeah, you know, this, the schedule is a little weird with remote learning because this and that, and you know, all the, the schools here in Oak Park call them specials. So, you yeah. know, the special subjects, right. Electives, right. Yeah. They only yeah. get 20 minutes a day when they used to get an hour. And my friend who is a teacher said, yeah, we don't do that here, but I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Because all of those things tend to be funded by the PTOs. So if you can buy a house in an area with a good PTO, then mm-hmm. your school has that stuff. And if you don't, then you can't have that stuff. Right. Like, and like and everything else too. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. And everything else too. Education, healthcare, right. you know, all of this, the sort of, social support network. And I don't mean like people, I mean, like literally the net under you. Oh, absolutely. That mm-hmm. you, if there's a problem doesn't exist in this country mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, most of Europe is just like, Oh, we figured that a long time yeah, ago. Why are we still struggling with this? Yeah. And, and it is, I've had those discussions with my family members and, and, and Holland is an interesting example because it's become the medicine and the education has become less socialized since I was a child it is still mostly socialized, right? I mean, my my aunt talked about sticker shock around her kid's education. And she's literally talking about like $2,000 mm. for like three years of oh. education, right? So that was sticker shock to her. And my mom was like, what? Yeah. That's room, like, like, that's just room and board for one right. semester. Right, uh, and so it's still a very different conversation, right? To them, that's a, that's a sticker shock. And that's just, that's just because of the evolution of all of that. But But at the same time, the, the cost of education being prohibitive to someone being able to mobilize themselves upward is not an issue in that particular scenario. I mean, what $2,000 is to one person versus another. It's a whole different story, though, from $30,000 for a year mm-hmm. for one family versus another. And whether that is, you know, like to get into that, that whole discussion. And, and certainly those things and, and what that means for mobility is, is, a, is one. There, there's a lot to be said there. You and your sister were like very involved in the public school offerings, right? Mm-hmm. Music, theater, band, all this music and band is the same. But you know what I'm saying, right? That you did you did a lot and coming from a place that was didn't have that. Was there an expectation put upon you by your parents that was like now we have this available to us, you will take advantage of it? 
I think I think it was a and that's a good that's a good question. I think it was I think more than that at at one point there was a little bit of and we've talked about this as I've seen I have brought my kids through some of these things too, right? It was a little find your way. I'm not sure where to push you. <laughs> I don't I don't know how else to explain it. It's um like I, I took skating lessons for a little bit at one point, but the extent to which that was another thing that was very overwhelming. My parents were like, everybody's in soccer. Everybody's in, everybody's in so many things. Like where to put you, where do we put you? Like it doesn't, the pressure doesn't need to be this high around all of those things, but you need to find the things you like. And when you commit, I think the big expectation is if you're going to commit to something and do something, you better stick with it. Right. It, it was a, I think when we were younger, and that's where, when I, I was not ice skating by the time I was in high school, I, I did like a brief, I have this like really cute picture of me as like an eight-year-old on a podium. I actually like did a little flippy jump thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty proud of it. I I'm, I'm okay as an ice skater. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I'm terrible. Down. Don't worry about don't it. Fall. I'm terrible. But, but that was probably the extent of my sporting career as a child. I mean, we, I did PE in, in, my friends were like, oh, in school, great. <laughs> but they but, did want you. It seems like they yeah. did want. They did encourage, maybe not push, but they did mm-hmm. encourage you to participate in all of those things. Yeah, it was like, a lot of you have it available. When I was younger. Right, use it. Yeah, right. I mean, it was like it was absolutely right. I did Suzuki and Girl Scouts, and and my mom was in a, in the PTA. And when I was in high school, my mom was the president of the band boosters and doing all those kinds of things, which. A little bit grows out of being an immigrant and up until we got our green card, she wasn't able to work, right? So she was like the epitome of of filling her time trying to do these things and 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 have these successes and for herself with within like living for her kids. And we've talked about how that as a grown woman is difficult, right? To build your entire identity on your children, which is why she went back to school when she could. And and spent many many years as an, as an actually as an academic advisor at the uh, at the college level. But I think it, in high school it was find your find your thing and 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 be good at it. And it was really, I mean the the real push and pressure must have been there because my sister and I both did really well in school. And and I was in the top five of our graduating class. My sister did incredibly well as well. And, and obviously we were not obviously, but we were very involved in music out in and then outside of school. We both played Chicago Youth Symphony. Uh, we played with Suburban Youth Symphony. We sang in a children's choir, all sorts of things. And music became our thing. And it really became our thing. Um, and it was really a, yes, we're going to give you, yes, you found this opportunity, right? So now you're going to take the lessons and you're going to practice and you're going to do all those things. And you're going to commit to it. And, and then it just became what we loved and what we did. Right. But I think there was that, all right, this is your thing. Now you're going to really spend some time on it and, and become good at it. So yeah, that was definitely a big a piece of it as we got older. As we were younger, it was, wow, look at all this stuff. What do you want to do? I don't even know where to start, but you should take advantage of it. Sure. You know, your mom, what kind of, what kind of advice did she give you? That's a, that's a great question. Um, so the funny thing is my sister and I both started college as music performance majors. I attended DePaul University on a flute performance scholarship and Margot actually um, attended Roosevelt University on an oboe performance scholarship. And we both stopped that. <laughs> um, in fact, I had a high school chemistry teacher actually told me that I was going to waste my intelligence in music. She literally said those words to me because I got a five on the AP Chem test. So she came and found me in the music practice rooms 
because she knew that's what I did most of the time. Uh, and she told me I was going to waste my intelligence going into music, which I think that's one of the main times in my life when I was like, I'm, that makes me want to do music more. But that could have gone either way. It could have. Yeah, for sure. But I was, um, I, I really took that statement to heart, obviously, because so many years later, three years later, it's still a problem. But my parents, my mom and dad both, I think my dad was a little disappointed I wasn't going to be a chemical engineer because, you know, obviously having, I was good at chemistry and it was good. And I was like, nope, I don't want to do that. But on the surface and, and towards me, it was, it was, we want you to pursue your heart. We want you to excel at what you're going to pursue it, what you're going to do. And we want you to go, go do it and do as best you can at it, which is why both my sister and I went to music performance and we are not performers the state and, and i think to it to a certain extent it was it was them mindfully saying listen we know you may not land there but we need to give you the chance to have that and i think i, I to this day I'm, I'm still a very fiercely independent decision maker in that regard that's a very dutch thing is to right um to be very independent i mean you know as, at a very young age kids are biking a very long way to schools by themselves and doing everything it's, it's a very from a child rearing perspective independent concept in the same vein, it's a decision I never regretted. It was the decision that was wholly mine. And I, I mean, you know, and I, is that, is that a Dutch thing to what you said? Like the independence is definitely a Dutch thing, which is it, it, I could see that with you and with your sister. How -hmm. about the, how about the, um, is, is there a sense of like, you're not like you make decisions on your own and then you like taking out the emotions of it. Is that, I don't know if it's a Dutch thing or my family thing. Okay. I don't know if my sister would agree with that, though. I mean, my sister's a pretty emotional person but on a whole. So, but yeah, I don't know if that's a that's so much a cultural thing. But being very independent and vocal about our own opinions is <laughs> that's very much a that's Dutch very cultural. Cultural. Oh yeah, yeah. We're not. I mean, beating around the bush and 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 being subtle in our approach to uh, voicing our opinions. Everything. Is, yeah. <laughs> Is not a is not a thing that as a culture Dutch people are very good at. So, Shulshi, are you Dutch? I should be. <laughs> should be. But you have to like black licorice, though. That's like black licorice and herring. Oh my god, that's so Dutch. Yeah, black licorice and what's the other thing? Herring. Oh, herring. Like okay, so my uh, like I first like of all, black licorice is I love black licorice and the Dutch. We have like a billion varieties of it. Okay, that's a that's a bit of a, a hyperbole, but not totally. Okay, like, there's half like a billion. Half <laughs> only a, there's yeah. soft, sweet. There's salty. There's really salty. There's hard. There's, salty there's black so licorice. Gr- salty black oh licorice God, is yeah. the best thing in the world. Anyway, so that's that's a Dutch, very Dutch thing. But so is um uh, in the North Sea, especially in June, you can get fresh herring. Oh, see, I love herring. They basically debone uh, and take the head off of, leave the tail on, and then you put a whole lot of onion on it. And then you just eat it. I would eat that. by its tail and eat it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's like I... I, So Pete thought I was... My husband thought I was crazy and disgusting (laughs) for talking about (laughs) eating that. He still thinks I'm disgusting for liking black licorice, which is fine. Because if the introverted me wants him to go away, we just have black licorice. Um, The other thing is, I've I've realized that when you're the only one who likes something, then you get more of it because you don't have to share. Like my daughter, Betsy, will get... Uh, if there's like jelly beans, she'll take out all the black ones, put them in a bag and take them. She calls uh, Shalushi Mamash. She takes them to Mamash. And so mm-hmm. Shalushi will just it's get bags of 
black jelly beans. Yeah. The best. Yeah. So without is, asking. Yeah. Black black licorice is a very, very, very Dutch thing. Okay. We so it. we've decided that and mayonnaise on our fries. Four of us, mm-hmm. Margot, you, me, and Shale She are somehow related. Yeah, and sure. we like cross streams somewhere. Yeah. And that Shale She is maybe Dutch. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. If you like herring and black licorice, that could be totally true. I've never, so to be fair, I've never had fresh herring. I've only had the like smoked pickled, pickled, like pickled in a jar. No, it's nothing like that. So, one of the things that we ask all of our guests is what their familect is. What is their, is it familect? I'm going to say what their familect is. And coming from someone who speaks a lot of Dutch, mm-hmm. And Spanish. your kids speak, huh? And Spanish. And Spanish. Yes, exactly. You speak a lot of Dutch and a lot of Spanish. And your kids speak also. Can you give us some of the, I mean, you already did a little bit with like uh, your, what, okay, the one that I was Dutchikins. Dutchikins are my kids. Yep. That, that, that's like, that's exactly what we're talking about is like, what's a word or set of words that, or phrases that you use that like it's only in your family. Well, that's but, like, definitely one. Yeah. Yeah. And that like comes from your Dutch, from your roots. Well, there's so there's a couple. Um, well, okay, so there's one that's only in my family, but it's not so much from my roots as it is from from like an English English language misspeak. Um, See, that is, but it is from your roots. Right? It is, right? It is yeah. Roots, right. So like, and this is so, when and it's in honestly growing up i had no idea this was even something that people would think was weird i don't know how many people came to our house and my dad called us and i'll get to what he called us and my dad would call us this and they probably went home and were like what is wrong with this man (laughs) so when we would get like you know tired and annoying and we would complain about all those things in other words we were whining my dad would call us winos which oh (laughs) Okay. <laughs> As an adult, but really, I didn't learn that until an adult. Like, I think it was Pete who was like, uh, you know, you're telling your kids they drink wine out of a paper bag, right? Like, you know what a wino is, right? It's like a bum on the street that drinks wine out of a bag. And here's me. I had no idea. My whole life. I, I legitimately had no idea. He still says it. It made no impact on my father, but like deeply disturbed me at a deep level of like i lived my whole life and i know people at my house heard my dad call us winos and they were native english speakers so i know that on more than one occasion someone went home and laughed about how he said that so and that, no yeah, one, but also all of those people no one said anything did not say anything nope until pete yeah yeah that's that's also a, a ridiculous piece of this story is like a whole <laughs> bunch of people heard heard this and nobody said like don't say what? don't say that mr Riphagen. Yeah. mr Riphagen. maybe you shouldn't call idea. your <laughs> well we don't, you know that's then, not what it doesn't mean what you think it means it means no no well it's neither like... does neither does when my high school boyfriend after um i broke up with him my mom said my mom misspoke and said he was groping in the bathroom and i said mom it's either moping or griping <laughs> <laughs> the one in the middle doesn't work i hope so that's one. And I did tell my mom I was going to tell that story, by the way. She's oh my God, that's 100% amazing. knows. And it's something we've laughed about for very I long love you, time. Allie. Yeah, she's the best. <laughs> that's good. She, <laughs> so that, okay, those are, that, that, that was a one-off. The girl in the bathroom was a one-off that we still joke about today. Well, um, that's the thing. It's like, it's become something else. 
<laughs> it's become something else in your mm-hmm. family. A hundred percent. As in my family, though, and I mean like me and my husband and my kids, we have we have weird mixes of things too, right? Because he's Mexican American, and there's some things. I went to a, a a Mexican restaurant with my daughter the other day, and she's like, "How many people do you think read this taco and say they want an al pastor taco?" <laughs> And, and so, right. So they grow up and they, and they say Spanish words the way they're supposed to be said. And, and, but, but also she said, what? why don't people call underwear underwear? They're chonies. So we call underwears chonies. I like that. Uh, and, and for a while when Gabby was little, she would call chorizo chonizo. So it was chonizo <laughs> and egg. Oh, do you, and you yeah. still call yeah. it that? Of course. Yeah. So chonies is, is one thing that we definitely say. Um, and Chazalach is one that, that I've never found another word. It's, that's a Dutch word um, that it, it, it's an it's a feeling of comfort and ambiance and togetherness. The best way I can summarize that word. So can you say one. that one more time? It's Chazalach. It's a lot of in your throat situations happening there. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of uvulas. Um, my, my, my friend, my 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 friend from elementary school used to say it's just also it's all very like a, like a hairball. <laughs> I'm clearing a hairball. I was like, so oh, flemmy. Oh, it's sure. very yeah. I mean, and my my maiden name in Dutch very well. I mean, if you say it, my maiden name is Riphagen, if I say it in Dutch, right, it's Riphagen or Riffagen, as people would say it. If oh was, no, that was a mispronunciation of my name that that happened a lot. But yeah, Chazalech uh, is one. I never, I actually didn't know how to say my stomach hurt growing up. Like, okay, uh, I still see, I still can't find it in English. Um, it's nauseated. If you're nauseated and you don't feel yes. good. Um, it, it, it is still what I say is when it, if I don't feel good and my kids will say it sometimes. Um, they do. Right. So it's become, yeah. and then do you use it in an English sentence? So yes. you'll say like, I feel. They, they wear chonies. They don't wear underwear. Underwear is not a mm. word we, we say at our house. Do it's you chonies. still say chonizo? Yeah, I say it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I and think then, and Gabby and my kids will too. Right. We say like, right. um, and especially to her, cause it was her thing, but, but it's kind of stuck. Um, chonizo yeah. is nice. And Tomas made up a word for, for right, um, in, in Dutch, uh, grandma and grandpa's book Anoma. And as an infant, well, okay, more of a toddler, closer to two, right? Um, he couldn't say Omanoba, he, but he, he called both of them Bada for a while. He would just say Bada. And then one day, uh, we were living in Virginia at the time, again, another state, <laughs> uh, he called my dad Opa while they were visiting. And my dad's like, no, right. Not, that's not me. And so bada, bada is something that has stuck um, and something that, that came out of a pr- mispronunciation of Oba right. that my oldest had as a toddler. And now it's, well, and that's, it's funny because we have that similar, um, my, my uh, nibbling, she, she's number one, is when they were learning to speak called my mom they're supposed to call her nani ma nani ma and they said namina and then it just became namina and now everyone loves her now she's got yeah she's got three Mm -hmm. speaking grandchildren and they we all and then we call like if i'm talking to Mm -hmm. any of my siblings or even my husband about my mom i call her namina and that's right. just, yeah, that's just how I, I love those stories of the familects that like just become part of your everyday vernacular. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we have kept you for 
a very long time, uh, longer yeah. than I think that you, with three kids and a husband and a dog and a cat. Actually, it was really the dog. The yeah. dog was like attention <laughs> on me still yeah. right now. As I didn't even know, not being a citizen even then, right? So then that's a whole nother layer of things. I think you're the first person we've spoken with who has not been a citizen, even mm-hmm. as an adult. Right. Um, and that's a really critical story aspect of your story to get out there because for all the challenges that come along with not being a citizen one of the things that isn't challenging for you is your skin tone looking like looking Mm -hmm. like a certain way looking and sounding the way that people want you right right? and people Mm want people want you to look and sound a certain way and you do right for the most part for the power yeah for the for most of the country for most of the world or most of the powers that be, at least in the U.S., you look like you belong here. Right. You look like you're from the States, right? Um, like like you could have come over on the Mayflower. Not you personally. Not you. Uh, but, you know, your family could have come over on the Mayflower. And it's it's different for people like Kosha and I, where it's really, really clear that we are not, you know, descendant from those people. Right. Um, and yet, right, and I go back to, and yet, there are aspects of everybody's story that resonate across all type, you know, all different immigrant populations, because there's always something that makes you feel like an outsider. Yeah. And isn't that, isn't that so interesting? I remember um, in, in middle school too, we did a project where we had to write letters to our grandparents about how they grew up and what was there. And that project was so much more complicated for me because my grandparents don't speak English. Right. So I had to first write, I had to translate what I wrote in English for the assignment to Dutch to send to them. Then they sent me something Dutch back. And then I had to translate that into English in order to do this assignment. I don't regret a minute of it. It's really cool. A lot of the stories that came out of that, like my grandparent, my grandfather's family hiding people on their farm during the second world war. My other grandfather was in hiding during the second world war. So like, you know, so many cool things I learned that I never would have, but like the, the Nate, the extent to which, small what well, seemingly small things become very complicated um well and also to your point from earlier is that there are words that don't translate so like right. you're getting uh, this you're translating words into a different language and then transcribing those back and so mm-hmm. so what is lost in translation also i mean that that all adds layers of complexity to your life that people don't realize because mm-hmm. looking at you they'd be like oh your life I get who you are, right? right that's, yeah. that's the whole idea of being othered is, is not, not necessarily you go over there, I'm over here, but that people want to look at you and go like, I, I understand. I, I, I get a box. This. You fit in right. my box, right? You fit mm-hmm. in this storyline that I have. And the fact that your story is different and that, you know, that we need to, the more we talk about these things, the more we realize that like, every single person has a story and that they all deserve to be heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think we have more in common than, than people want to. And I think, you know, you mentioned early in the conversation, um, some of the positives that have come out of social media and certainly some of the, some of the massive negatives are, are the polarization that, that you see. Right. And the, the ballsiness of the voice that some people give themselves, right? And Key, and I think keyboard yeah. warriors, right? The keyboard yeah. warriors, yeah. and it's yeah. and right. It is. It's so very easy to type something super mean, mm-hmm. hit send, and you don't know where it's going. It's not right. It's like 
it's none really of it's real. Yeah, it's yeah. none of it's real. It's like it's like playing a video game kind of. Or it's like Monopoly yeah. money, yeah. right? It's you don't you don't see people as real, and and I think this is where we're at, and I think I struggle sometimes, and that's where Pete just jumps in and you know throws throws all 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 care to the wind. But Malatov, uh, he's a Malatov cocktail guy. He's a Malatov cocktail for sure. He'll just throw. He'll he's like they're being stupid, so I'm just gonna light it on fire, right? I mean that's his approach to it, and my. And, but really, at its core, it's because he believes the same that I do, which is we have more in common than anything else, right? And if people would just take a moment and open their eyes and see that, there's such power in that. But the more we talk about it, the more we can make true intention and, and make that more of a connection versus, well, I didn't mean it, right? Like, well, I didn't mean to other you. I didn't mean to put you in that other box. But the more we, and that's, and that's exactly, I mean, what you said was we have more in common than we have, you know, sure. different. And that's really where Shayla, she and I became like mm-hmm. started this podcast was like, we need to, we're not, nobody's talking about these stories. Right. One, one of the more, I think, interesting things I have learned from this podcast is that there's so much that you cannot know of someone simply by looking at them. You know, one of the people that we spoke with is a good friend of mine from high school as well, um, whose parents came over from Poland. And, you know, I knew that her parents came over from Poland when I was, you know, when we were in high school. I just assumed, but you're a white person, so you must just have a white person's life, like this sort of standard, you know, sitcom type life. Sure. And turns out that wasn't at all, right? The only thing that she had one of the things she had that I did not have was the privilege to walk down the street and blend into everyone else. Right. But her home life and my home life, very, very similar in sort of the expectations that our parents put on us, you know, the travel back to back to visit family, the expectations around like, we left it all for you. So you, you know, to give you a better life. So you better work hard and you better make good with your brother. She has a brother. So like make good with your family and all of this stuff. And it was really eye-opening for me and sort of was like a shattering the glass can't unsee it it can't unknow it moment to be like oh what kind of assumptions have I been making about people because I know this little bit about them and not digging in to see oh actually you know she and I had so much more in common about how we were raised than you know maybe somebody who is a second generation Indian so yeah super interesting yeah well thanks thank you thank you so much amory this was awesome and uh now go teach that dog what a balloon is yes indeed we're gonna we're gonna (laughs) this this is like the third exposure we'll see (laughs) it's a balloon it's a balloon (laughs) (laughs) okay have a great day